For the PowerPoint guys, it's uh, Salt and Living. It's the Salt and Living lesson. This will be tonight. <laughs> so y'all preview. Good to see everybody. We're glad you're here this morning. I know there are a number of visitors here. We're thankful for your uh, presence. Please come back and uh, be able to hear, as I said earlier, uh, Nate, my good friend Nate and, and George. And uh, they are the regular preachers here, and so don't hold me against them. And you come back and be a part of them when they have all of their regular people in place. But I certainly uh, am thankful to you for the invitation always. I just love coming here. I feel like it's home. And I appreciate so much the opportunity to come and speak to the young people this weekend. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be allowed to speak to young people. That, that gap is getting more and more and more. I still think of myself as I can have fun with young people. So... Um, that I can be just as crazy as Caleb or anybody else that is in that, that vein of things. But I appreciate them so much. Uh, looking at them last night, just thinking about those 40-plus faces in the, the Wyatt's home and thinking that that's the future of God's people. I mean, here in front of me are the zeal and the earnestness and the devotion at a young age, and I pray that you will always keep that, because one day, folks, I know you're going you're gonna to face this, and that's what we're talking about tonight, that you'll get back together, and you'll start talking about people, and you'll say, do you remember so-and-so? Do you know what's happened to them? And you're going to hear a lot of them that fell away, and you're going to hear others that, that went forward and, and began to do more good works and, and, and grow and become what they ought to be in the Lord. And all of that is uh, positive and, and, and what we want to hear, but you're going to have to temper it with the thing that is the other side. And that is, I pray, that you will be the ones that grow and go forward and become more like Christ uh, as you live. So thank you very much for, uh, for having me this weekend. If you will, open up your New Testaments in Matthew chapter 5. This is your theme uh, for this year. Salt and light living is what I call this lesson. But you know this passage and what a great passage it is. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Sheldon Vanneken wrote, The best argument for Christianity is Christians, their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug. Annie Dillard wrote, What a pity that so hard on the heels of Christ come the Christians. Mahatma Gandhi, famous father of India, said, or was asked, What is the greatest hindrance to Christianity in India? He replied, Christians. The unfortunate truth of that is that all of us live it. We know how hard it is to be salt and light in a consistent way, in a way that does not come across to others, uh, that puts them off of Christ, but rather draws them to Him. You're to think about God's marketing strategy 
the great good news of the gospel. The gospel's message is that it's not anything that we can do. We have sinned against Him. There's no amount of good, as we talked about in the earlier lesson, that we can do now to bring ourselves back into a right relationship with Him. He says in Titus 3, But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, not by what we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, And He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We can no more do enough good works to get us out of the mess that we have made than my illustration earlier, than all the right traffic laws I would be uh, had held in my life could undo the fact that I just broke one. In Ephesians, the second chapter, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, It is the gift of God, not of works, which is the definition of what he had just said, lest anyone should boast. This life-transforming, eternity-altering message is to be communicated down through the ages by all of his followers, his disciples. What is Jesus' marketing strategy? You are. I am. You are the means by which his message will be spread to your family, to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your school. You do it by being, and I do it by being salt and light. Folks, that's plan A of God. There is no plan B. Plan A is us. If we are salt, think of a time when salt could be corrupted because it wasn't purified, it's not it's not. Morton's that you buy and never will go bad. It might get hard again. You have to break it up, but it's not going to go bad. And it's a day and age it could corrupt. It had all kinds of other impurities mixed in it. Salt could lose its saltiness. But if it does what it's supposed to do, then like salt creates thirst. It creates a thirst for God. Salt that was used for ages before refrigeration became so common. My grandfather and grandmother, who were uh, the ones that put me first in contact with with West End, back when I was five years old and got locked in y'all's bathroom somehow, but I don't remember (laughs) what happened. I remember banging and yelling. My grandparents farmed at Spade, Texas, and... My dad and I were talking, because so many memories come back now. He's in a nursing home now, and so we talk about old stories. And he talked about the smokehouse. He talked about how Papo kept uh, a fire going in there, just a little fire that would make smoke, and smoke the meat that was hung up. And that had been salted in the proper season when the pigs had been slaughtered. To keep it, and Mama would say, we need some meat for tonight. And he'd go out to that, that smoke shed, Dad said, and he'd carve off of those hams what meat they needed to eat that night. Salt retards decay. Our being present in the lives of people around us retards the moral decay as they watch kind, lives that are excellent, lives that are more than what this world is about. Imagine if Hollywood and all those kind of filthy, ugly people is what just gave sway into the entire world. Salt flavoring the world with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Light, you think about light which exposes and reveals darkness. Not that far from Carlsbad Taverns, one of my very favorite places, national parks to go to. I don't know if they still do it, but do you remember the room, maybe they still do, that you go down into at the very, if you're led on that tour by a park ranger, and they turn the lights out. You in that room? And it doesn't matter how close you put your hand to your face, you cannot see it. You'll feel your breath against it, or smell it, before you ever would realize it's there by sight. But then she turns the flashlight on, or he turns the flashlight on, and immediately all the darkness is expelled. Immediately you can see. So we are the light of the world. We illuminate the truth that is revealed in the Scriptures by God as we live it in our lives. What Christians must not be is holier than thou, Christians. People must see that we are failures too, that we have been sinners and continue to have to battle sin. We are sinners forgiven by the grace of God. We do not look down upon the lost, but rather love them and try with all our might to lift them up. We cannot be cosmetic Christians. We attend all the services, we go through all the right motions, but the people that are around us, our work associates, our family, know the real truth. They know that it's just veneer, facade. We are liars, sexually immoral, backstabbing gossips, lovers of money. And you cannot hide that from your kids. Sooner or later. Ananias and Sapphira. And we cannot be, as one man said, Hallmark greeting card Christians. Flimsy, one-inch deep theology Christians who mouth platitudes about the gospel but cannot help the world see how to apply it in real life. That we live in the same rat race with the same problems in marriage and the same temptations to sin and the same rotten weakness that all people have to deal with. And when they deal with the sufferings of life, cancer and divorce and all kinds of other things that happen. It's not platitudes that we give them, but the real life of living because we have done so with God's Word in our hearts. Christianity, folks, is costly Christianity if it is salt and light living. We live the faith when it costs us. Ron was eight years old when he threw a hammer at somebody's head and ended up in juvenile court. It would be one of many encounters with the law. He dropped out of high school, got mixed up in drugs, and rose to second in command of the Bel Airs, a vicious street gang in Chicago in the 60s and 70s. He got into deep trouble when he was 21 years old. A rival gang, the Palmer Street Gaylords, brutally assaulted one of Ron's friends, and so Ron vowed revenge. He tracked down a half dozen Gaylords at a bar. Ron pulled a gun and the Gaylords fled. Ron chased down Gary, the brother of the man who had assaulted Ron's friend, and shot Gary in the back. Gary collapsed on the pavement. Ron shoved his gun into Gary's face and pulled the trigger. Click. The gun was empty. Hearing police sirens coming, he, Ron fled the scene. A warrant for his arrest was issued. A conviction of attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon would have landed him in prison for 20 years. Ron and his girlfriend fled to Canada and eventually to Portland, Oregon, where Ron landed his first legitimate job at a metal shop. 
His co-workers happened to be Christians, and through their influence, Ron became a follower of Jesus Christ. Over time, Ron's character changed dramatically. His girlfriend became a Christian, too. They married. They had a little girl named Olivia. And Ron became a model employee and active in the local church. But his conscience kept gnawing at him. Even though God had saved him, he owed a debt to society. The police had stopped looking for him long ago, but he knew the only honest and right thing to do was to give himself up and face judgment. Otherwise, he said, he would be living a lie. When Ron stood before the judge and the judge looked at him, he just simply said, I'm guilty. I did it. I'm responsible. If I need to go to prison, that's okay. Because I've become a Christian. And the right thing to do is to admit what I've done and to ask for forgiveness. What I did was wrong, plain and simple. And I'm sorry. I love that that story ended well. It might have ended with a judge slapping him in jail and he would be there for a long time. The judge looked at him and said, I wish I had more people that stood before me like you. He said, go home and live your life with your family. Taking the faith seriously. There was a man watching that that day in court, a cynical, hard-nosed journalist who had covered countless court cases, the sordid lives of people that I'm sure people in law enforcement like Keith can tell us about that we would rather not hear. He believed the worst about human nature, and especially about Christians. But what he saw that day was something entirely different. It wasn't cosmetic Christianity. It was radically transformed Christianity, costly Christianity, a man who was willing to go to jail after all of those years because he had done wrong. The norm of the world is to look out for number one. But later, as he would come himself to faith, he thought about passages like Psalms 15, verse 1 and 4. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. He who swears by his own hurt and does not change. A man who would, do, who would make a deal with you for so much money to build your house, and all of a sudden this inflation comes and it, and it kicks in, and he didn't have it written in the contract that unless inflation hits. And so he doesn't go up on your price because he agreed to build your house for this cause. He swears, even if it hurts him, he will do what is right. It is seeing Christians who do not cut ethical corners for client or boss, but are willing to pay the price for taking such a stand. I've known them. I've known those who have lost their jobs and I've known those who have been respected and have kept them. Whatever. They swear to their own hurt and will not yield. Who pay the price to speak up for Jesus when truth is being belittled and ridiculed in the classroom or the workplace. Not in a mean and nasty holier-than-thou Christian kind of attitude, but as a seeker of truth who has found the right and better way. A Christian who gives up their time and their money with great difficulty to serve their fellow man, to especially serve those who are in Christ. Who sacrifice pride to ask forgiveness of one they have hurt. Ron made a lasting impression on that man who watched him that day in that courtroom. Folks, people watch us. They are looking. 
We are salt and light. We need to have compassionate Christianity that produces caring and loving people. Allison Joy was born almost 30 years ago, a healthy and beautiful little girl, but the following day something happened that again drove a cynical, hard-nosed reporter to look closely, more closely at God. The young parents waited in the room for the nurse to bring Allison for her 1 o'clock feeding, and she didn't show, and more time passed. The couple became worried, and the father was about to leave the room to find out where their daughter was. And just then, in walk a team of doctors. And when glum-faced doctors walk into your room, your heart drops. Something was terribly wrong with Allison, and they did not know what it was. She was transferred already to ICU. They needed the parent's signature to do an immediate spinal tap. The next few days were stomach churning, a tiny infant girl hooked up to all kinds of monitors, an intravenous needle in her ankle, and an unbelieving, unbelieving young couple with no place to go. Then a call came on the phone. David, a friend of the young father, a work companion. He had not seen him in a long time. His father was an atheist to Allison, the little girl. But the father knew that David was a serious Christian. David said on the phone, what can I do for you? Can I come down there and be with you a while? Would you like to talk? Can I bring you anything? Can I run errands for you? I'm praying for your daughter, and so too will my friends at church. The only thing I would add to that story, folks, is just don't ask the question. Go. Just go to the hospital. Go sit with them. Go talk to them. Be there. Hold their hand if they need it. Matthew 5 verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. All that we talked about in the other lesson. They are watching. An unbeliever lived next door to a Christian. They had a casual relationship, talks over the fence, borrowing tools, stuff like that. I think about Tim Allen and that guy. (laughs) Then the non-Christian's wife was stricken with cancer and she died three months later. The unbeliever wrote these words. I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. And after the service, I went to the path along the river and walked all night. But I did not walk alone. My neighbor, afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. He didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. And when the sun finally came up over the river, he came over to me and said, let's go get breakfast. I go to church now, my neighbor's church. A religion that can produce the kind of caring and loving that my neighbor showed me at my time of severe crisis is something I want to find out more about. I want to be like that. I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. Salt and light is showing kindness to others. It is asking, what would Jesus do? Words evaporate quickly, but people remember a gentle act of servanthood forever. And few things are as salt-savory or as gently illuminating as a simple act of kindness performed in the name of Jesus. Thirdly, we need to be consistent in our Christianity, for we are being watched. 
Linda and Jerry were Christians, and they became friends with an unbelieving couple whose daughter, Allison, served, survived her mysterious illness. Linda and Jerry were upfront about being Christians, and so the unbelievers scrutinized them to see if they really were real. Were they holier than thou? How did they handle marital conflicts? Did they put on their happy hallmark Christian face and pretend they never got angry, worried, frustrated? Would they tell the truth? Would they ask forgiveness when they wronged others? Would they hold a grudge if others hurt them? Would they be honest in the little things of life? Would they say things about others behind their backs? The unbelieving couple watched them for a long time. They discovered that Linda and Jerry weren't perfect, but Linda and Jerry never claimed to be that. The unbelieving couple saw primarily a gentle spirit of acceptance, a lot more humility than pride, a willingness to admit wrong, anxious to reconcile, refusing to play act. They admitted they struggled with faith from time to time. What they saw most of all in Linda and Jerry was a desire to be bit by bit, daily, more like Jesus. They saw the light. Folks, the people that work and live next door to us have their hypocrisy radar set at max. Our friends and neighbors are scanning to see if we are the real deal. Daniel faced those same kind of men long ago. Do you remember? The governors and the satraps said that we will not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Can you imagine somebody saying that about us? That they know we are so consistent that the only way they are going to get to us is they put us in conflict with the law of our God as those men set up that trap for Daniel. What they see in us will either repel them from Jesus or some of them will wake up and they will want to find out more about the Jesus we serve. Maggie had been poisoned by hypocritical Christianity. She wrote these words. The Christianity I grew up with was so confusing to me, even as a child, people said one thing and did another. They appeared very spiritual in public, but were abusive in private. What they said and what they did never fit. There was such a discrepancy that I came to hate Christianity, and I did not want to be associated with the church. So when I came to this particular local congregation, she said, I needed gentleness. I needed to be able to ask any question. I needed to have my questions taken seriously. I needed to be treated, above all things, with respect and validated. Most of all, I needed to see people whose actions match what they say. I did not expect perfect. I knew people sinned. But I was looking for integrity, for real, is the words that would come to mind. I needed to hear real people talk about real life, and I needed to know if God could be a part of that. Does He care about the wounds I have? Does He care that I need a place to live? Can I ever be whole and healthy again? And she wrote with this poem that she sent to the man that eventually had faith in Christ. Do you know, do you understand when you treat me with gentleness, it raises the question in my mind that maybe he is gentle too. Maybe he isn't someone who laughs when I have hurt. Do you know, do you understand 
And when you listen to my questions and you don't laugh, I think, what if Jesus is interested in me like that too? Do you know, do you understand that when I hear you talk about arguments and conflict and scars from your past, I think maybe, maybe I can find help too. If you care, I think maybe he cares. And then there is a flame of hope that burns inside of me and for a while I'm afraid to breathe because it might go out. Do you know, do you understand that your words are his words? Your face, his face, to someone like me. Please be who you say you are. Please, God, don't let this be another false place. Please, let this be real. Please. It's an old song that we sing, right? We are the only Bible this careless world will see and read. Costly Christianity, compassionate Christianity, consistent Christianity. That's what salt and light look like. And may God help us be that. Thank you for listening this morning. If you are subject to heaven's invitation, Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be condemned. Mark 16, 16. Those are not my words. They're not the words of any church of Christ. They are the words of Scripture. They are the words of Jesus Christ. And if you want to find Christ, there is where you begin. You begin by believing in who He claimed to be and what He came and did for you and for me and for all of us on the cross. Dying for our sins and shedding His blood made it possible. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. If you have walked away from that and you need to come back, these people love you and they will pray with you and they will help you. And I am certain they are salt people and light people. They will live it and help you. All together we stand and sing.